1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Welcome to My Millennial Property. I'm John Pidgeon and I'm joined again by Emily Wallace. Morning, Emily.
3: Good morning to you.
2: (laughs) How are we today?
3: Uh, very chirpy this morning, actually. I've got coffee on board, so I'm very happy. How about yourself?
2: <laughs> adds, adds 10 or 15% to your output, I always say. Yeah, most definitely. Easily. Easily. Yeah, no, I am flying as hopefully normal. This was by Crowd Demand, this one. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're talking today about how to purchase your second property, and uh, It's going to hit home for you, Emily, and I'll talk. refer back to you in a moment. But uh, look, I'm going to roll with some stats first and foremost. Well, we love stats. You love stats. That's right. We all love stats. There are over 10 million dwellings in Australia and growing. 10 million dwellings. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. Now, one in five own more than one dwelling other than their own dwelling.
3: Oh, okay. One in
2: five yeah. Australians. Okay, yep. So that's 20%. Mm-hmm. Now, to buy or own a property, you need to be an adult, generally speaking. So that's not including the, the kids that are listening in, all right? Um, 71% own one investment property. Now, that can also include holiday home.
3: Of course, yep.
2: Yeah. 19% own two properties mm-hmm. and 6% own three investment properties. So it drops off pretty quick, doesn't
3: it? Very hard and fast drop off there. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's, yeah, the whole point of today's topic, right? It can be a challenge to accrue a number of properties. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. And we're going to talk about why it's so hard and and where potentially people may get it wrong. um, and. This is actually really, I suppose, relevant to you, Emily, because you're in the market to buy your second property. Is that correct?
3: I am, yes. And it is challenging. I must say from first-hand experience, the first one was a breeze compared to the preparation for the second one. And there's lots of different reasons why that's the case. But yeah, I am in the market.
2: So let's delve deeper into into why it is more of a lengthy process. What 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 are you finding that's harder this time as opposed to first time around?
3: Well, first and foremost, it's having the funds there, the deposit amount and the outgoings at like the costs of actually um, getting a property, acquiring a property, I should say, is yeah, probably where my, my biggest challenge has been. Um, also, from on a personal note, when I bought my first property, I was employed. Um, now, I'm a business owner. So, they are very different ways the banks assess that. Um, for sure. But, but yeah, I think it's like, oh, we're back at – once you buy the first one, it's like, okay, we're back to square one now to start the second, yeah. which can be tricky.
2: So, I'm going to stay with you for a moment on your journey um, because it's really relevant to people listening out there in respect to their own situation. But – Obviously, you changed from PAYG to self-employed. So that's a major uh, difference when it comes to getting lending from from the banks, right? Yeah. But did you uh, think about your second purchase when you were buying your first one?
3: Uh, only in the sense that my first one, I wanted it to have good growth so I could have equity in it to assist. Yes, I, I did think of it in that broad spectrum. I didn't think about timeline. I didn't think about what the next one was going to be. I just thought I need to make a smart choice for my first one so I can eventually buy a second.
2: Okay, cool. Cool. Because I think that's where a lot of Australians might get it wrong is that they don't actually think about the second property or the third property or growing their portfolio when they're going in to buy their first one. They, they're mm. simply, uh, right, I know in the next six months I want to buy a property. That's my sole purpose for living and <laughs> once I get that done, uh, I, I pop the champagne and it's, um, it's happy days. Yeah, You thought about it a little bit, didn't you? You you thought, well, I want growth, so I'm thinking about what I'm going to buy. And obviously, you're in the industry, so that obviously helps. Um, (laughs) But when we're talking about buying that second property or having a vision for um, growing a portfolio, I think it's really important that before we buy the first one, we've got our second purchase in mind.
3: Yeah, I think that's really key. And even though in my role in the industry, I don't buy investment properties for other people. When people come to me, it's very rare that, you know, even when they've inquired about investment, it's very rare that they're thinking about longer term. Um, and I know we've, we've done an episode on long term as well, but you're so right. It's like the vision is I need to get a property. I need to get in as soon as possible. This is where all my money's going and then it's done. And that's that's about yeah. it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to break down a few different things that we need to be aware of. So hopefully, as as listeners, we're getting a bit of a concept around it. If you're thinking about buying that second property, or if you haven't bought your first property yet, um, some tips and tricks to ensure that we buy well the first time so that we can get a chance to buy the second one. Because when we look at those procedures that I mentioned at the start of the show, it's clear that they, they, they drop off pretty quickly and, and a lot of the reasons behind that is not necessarily I don't want a third property or a fourth property, it's I, I can't actually get a third or fourth property because either I haven't got growth in that property or that servicing is, um, is restricting me to buy property so I, I just have to sit on my hands and either do nothing or wait a long time to, to actually get the equity out.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really key point. It's not that people don't want more property; it's more that they can't get more property. I mean, who doesn't want more houses on the monopoly board? That's like, isn't that the game of life?
2: <laughs> Clean well, up that board, is, and we're on a on on a property show, so we're we're a little bit more biased than most. <laughs> but some might say, well, I want a combination of property and shares. But if if both of those asset classes are going up in value, we've got the ability to, as you said, increase the uh, the number of assets we've got around the board. Um, But I think, so So the first part of it is we've got to buy well the first time. Now, we can't guarantee capital growth, but one thing I would ensure is when we're thinking about that next purchase or the second purchase, we're thinking about what sort of price point we want to go into uh, or go in with, and then am I going to use cash or equity? So the cash play is we can guarantee the amount of cash we've got by saving. It might take me two years to save my deposit or five years or whatever the figure may be. I can't guarantee equity. So I Mm. think in planning, if I was talking to someone, I would be saying, right, I can guarantee the amount of cash I'm going to save over a certain period because I've got a savings plan that's thorough. Um, And if I can get some equity through that time from my first property, absolutely, I, I can get into my second property sooner But I've forecasted already that I can just buy with a cash deposit for that second purchase.
3: And can I just jump in there on something that probably sounds really obvious, but just want to point it out. When people were saving for their deposit for their first home, I think there is a tendency or I have witnessed people going, okay, I've I've done that saving part, I've bought it. And now I go back to my old habits. It's like when you lose weight, say you want to lose 10 kilos and you get to that mark, you can't then go back and eat all the junk food again. doesn't work like that if you want to keep <laughs> that lifestyle. So just um, a bit of a tip there, if you've been saving and you've been able to live off a certain amount and you can put, you know, 500 away a week or whatever it is, don't stop that just because you bought property number one. If you want to buy property yeah. number two, same principle applies. You've got to keep saving. It's not just going to magically happen.
2: Yeah. No, that, that's a really important point. And, and Rowan Dredge talks about that. We've had him on the main show a few times and he talks about direction. Mm. So if we're driving along, our, our, our we've got a certain destination and that might be financial freedom or whatever, mm. but Throughout that time, we're going to pass through some some towns, if you want to call it. So, buying that first property is just purely um, getting to that first town. Now, where's our second town and our third town until we reach our destination? So, yeah, it's a really important point to just keep your eye on the on the longer, larger prize. Yes, and, yes and keep that discipline. So, equity, just for uh, for reference out there, is the the value of the property. Uh, minus the loan, that's our equity that's basically sitting there available. Now, it's not usable equity. The bank will only allow us, in most cases, to borrow up to 80% um, of that. So we just need to understand the maths in that. If we're going in, it with our, in our first purchase with a 10% deposit, we know that we're only at 90% loan to value ratio. So we either need to pay that down or we need the um, growth to occur in the property to go beyond 80% or or less than 80% in order to get equity out of that property in the first place.
3: Yeah, it's a very valid point and something to be aware of because, yeah, you can't just assume just because it's grown doesn't mean that you get that gap of what you paid for versus what it's grown out. You've actually got to factor in the loan amount.
2: Yeah, yeah. So if we're setting goals and we we want to buy our second property in – let's say, two years, right? Did, did you have a goal in mind to as a time frame, or did you just say, okay, I've got some equity or some cash, I think I'll go and buy now?
3: To be honest, it was very dependent on how well the business did was, was helping. Yeah. Um, but yes, I made the decision in November, it was time to be on the hunt for the second one. And, and my goal now is to be um, well and truly bought by uh, March, if I can so cool yeah
2: yep, awesome all right so that's emily's goal maybe we can track this and just um, do a like a an emily blog on on her second purchase (laughs) be accountable (laughs) it may. yeah that's right Um, but after the break we're going to chat about strategic ways that we can get into our second property sooner So we heard that Emily's buying in March, and we're going to stick her, her to that, aren't we, Emily?
3: I feel very accountable all of a sudden. I really yep. need to get my skates on now. But yes, <laughs> we will. We'll yeah, keep right. an eye on that.
2: So putting a goal out there, we've uh, you've you've told the universe about it. Now it's going to happen. So. For some of you listening, you may actually have your first property as an investment property and you're looking at another investment property as your second purchase. The key indicator for this or for lending, depending on how much uh, earnings you've, you've got in your job, is What's the yield of the first property for a start, okay, and what's the cash flow and how does that impact our servicing? So I think one underrated factor in in setting a property strategy is we go and search for this capital growth with maybe not too much focus um, or purpose on the actual gross yield of the property mm. or, or in um, layman's terms, cash flow. What is the cash? Um, is it a negative amount before tax? Is it a positive amount after tax? Or is it negative after tax as well, which is going to be a detriment to our servicing for that second purchase?
3: Very true. And I think it's you know really good to have a handle on what are all the – contributions that impact your cash flow right because it's not just what rent comes in the door you've got body corporate fees if you're bought in an apartment block you've got rates you've got water all these things that impact the actual viability of that property it's not just I mean obviously rental is a big one but it's not just the rent that impacts what that looks like
2: yeah, absolutely. So what if, you, if it is your principal place of residence is your first property, um, the debt on that will uh, can be a negative towards your second purchase. So that may actually be holding you back depending on how large your debt is and, and how much income is coming into your life. Um, but yeah, if it's an investment property, understanding what the yield of that is, and maybe you need to increase the yield somehow. It might be adding value to the property to to increase the rent. Um, that that increases your servicing, or or get a higher paying job, or something like yeah. that. But um, but yeah, I think the big one is understanding the cash flow. And when we're looking at that second property, uh, when, when I talk to people, the biggest thing that stops them from pushing forward is the lack of cash in their life and, and a lot of the time that's due to negatively geared property which is holding them back and in some cases having to sell those properties because interest rates have risen or, or vacancy rates have increased or, or um, I've lost my job or whatever the case may be. If we've got to yield the sustainable for our whole property portfolio, not just one property, then that's going to put us instead to continue to uh, buy property going forward
3: most definitely i think that's a really key point there about the whole property portfolio particularly when you get into that 6% of the population who have three or more dwellings that you own um looking at it as a, as a whole rather than individual because that obviously is your net position all of yep, those things
2: factored 100%. in yeah cool so we may be sitting there saying right i've got my first property I can't get into my second, I've gone to the bank and, and or broker and no one will lend me money, what are my options? Now, we, we've got to sit there and think outside the square if we, our desire is to take action in the foreseeable future. All right? So what are our options? I think there are two of them,
3: Yep.
2: two, two main ones. Um, the first obvious one, and I love this one mm-hmm. if it's available to us, it's the bank of mum and dad.
3: Yes. We love the
2: bank so, of mum and dad, don't we? Yes. Now, can the bank of mum and dad lend us the deposit? Um, we, we may have the servicing, but not the deposit. So when the bank or the um, any lender out there is looking at us, they look at how much cash or equity have we got in our life, and how much income have we got coming into our life versus our expenses and debts, et etc. So if our servicing is strong because our income's strong, but we haven't got the cash or equity, can the bank of Mum and dad service that or give us, loan us, gift us the uh, deposit to get us into that second property?
3: Yeah, very true. And just a side note there, just remember one day you might be the bank of mum and dad. So trying to get yourself set up so you can be in that position to help the next generation is also a positive.
2: Totally. So it's a really good point. Is to is that feel good of uh, of gifting the next generation and mm. and more importantly educating them, but secondly, um, being able to help them out financially, giving them giving them a kickstart, because it only is going to get harder to to enter the property markets um, anywhere around the country, isn't it?
3: Hundred percent. So we've got bank and Bank of Mum and Dad as one option, which we're all across. What what's the second option?
2: Well, this second one is is definitely my favourite. Um, I wasn't fortunate enough to to have um, the bank of mum and dad come through with the goods, so I had to implore this option if I was going to take action, and and it's a joint venture. Oh. Now, it can be a joint venture with family or friends, and and I know an old host on this show. Um, I think his name was Glenn. Oh, he who's that? He's not. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a big rap for the family and friend joint venture right Mm -hmm. but i've personally seen it work um in in my own situation and i've helped others do the same so i don't mind that option but you've obviously got to do your due diligence and have your steps in a row and and be transparent with each other going forward so as i said before if if Uh, buying power and serviceability so buying power is cash or equity how much have we got and serviceability is the other income and expenses in our life if we're lacking one of those how can a second person come in and help us so that we can actually uh, continue to take action with our wealth creation or our, our property purchasing
3: Definitely. And a genuine question here that I actually don't know the answer to, um, I'm not sure if you do, because I've considered long-term, could my brother and I you know, do a joint venture together because we both own property and you know got yep. good servicing. Should you or can you have sort of an agreement drawn? I like, might say, you'd, I mean, the obvious thing about maybe hesitating to do a family or friends joint venture is what if there's a falling out? Yes. Is there any documentation or like, from a legal um, side of things that you can actually put together? when everything's happy days? Like, you know how you have a prenup when, like, you're happy with your partner and you're happy to agree to things? Is there something similar yeah. for joint ventures?
2: <laughs> yes, you can have a prenup joint venture arrangement. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so that that's one of the key things, of, of as I mentioned before, getting ducks in the row. You, you need to have that agreement drawn up, regardless of whether it's family, friend, someone you don't know, you're going to get it drawn up officially. So you've, you've got almost um, – um, I suppose, line in the sand at at different points along that journey for you to know. So if Emily and John were going into a joint venture together, we would have outlined the conditions at the start. Mm -hmm. Um, That may be percentages, involvement, all those sort of things, our strategy for buying, and then – we might say, right, at year one or year two, we'd check in with each other and if one wanted out, this is our options. If we continued on, that's cool. Um, So we've got these scenarios that we can work our way through. So both parties are really clear on the outcome, not just in 10 years time, because we might agree at the start, yeah, we want to hold this thing for 10 years, right? But then life changes, Emily gets married and um, wants to get some money out for the wedding. So she says, right, I want to sell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or you're in a position where you can go and buy on your own because your financial situation has changed. So there's a stop block in the road that says, right, I want to get out of this joint venture arrangement. What do we do? Can John buy Emily out? If John can't do that, we then agree to sell.
3: Yeah. Well, that's good yeah. to know, especially for, for our listeners in the community who are thinking about going down this route, that you can actually safe proof it and have these measures in place and you should have these measures in place before you enter into a joint venture because, yeah, anything can happen. We can't control humans. They're not robots.
2: No, absolutely. And without turning this into a joint venture um, episode, <laughs> I actually uh, wrote, wrote a chapter in a book on joint ventures. Um, so first person to send me a, a message with their postal address, I'll, uh, I'll flick one out to them.
3: Look out. That's Look awesome. Look out. <laughs>
2: um, so just rounding this conversation out of how to purchase our second property, everyone's Different in their scenarios. You mentioned you've gone from PAYG to self employed. Mm. You could be self employed out there um, all the way along. You know your finances, but your income's improved along the way. We know there's some lenders that'll take 12 months of financials, others need two years. So you've really got to be strategic. If we put one word into this conversation about how to get our second property or our next property, it's strategic. You've got to be thinking outside the box. How Can my mortgage broker get me a loan, number one? And if they can't get me a loan, how can I involve someone else to be able to take action that I own 50% of the asset or mum and dad helps me out to enable me to continue moving forward?
3: Yeah, most definitely. And just to add my two cents worth in there, investment investment. For buying investments for other people is is not my area. That's totally John. So if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, second property could be on the cards for 2021. I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure if I can do it. What does it look like? Um, highly recommend booking a clarity call with John because that the purpose of those calls is to help you nut that out. And and he's the person I'm not. John definitely is. Um, he's well-versed in that that space and would definitely recommend doing that.
2: Thank you, Emily. And, and look, from an analysis point of view, um, without this being a huge sales pitch, we, we have got our property analyzer calculator, which we built specifically for my frustrations around Building a portfolio, but not knowing the real numbers across the whole portfolio. Mm-hmm. I can analyse one property on its own, but how does it affect if I've got two or three properties, or if I'm going in to buy? Uh, what would these numbers look like before I actually purchase? Because after you've purchased, properties cost too much in transaction to to then sell it next month.
3: Yeah, definitely, you can't undo that very easily. You need to make sure you've got the right strategy from the outset.
2: Cool, that's been a good conversation. Hopefully. Um, our listeners have got some good knowledge from that. If you're out there wanting to purchase your second property, if you haven't started on your journey yet, hopefully it's given you the skills and knowledge to be able to apply it. If um, that's something you want to do down the track, but again, strategy mindset um, are always two critical words when we want to um, want to grow our portfolio. So. Thank you, Emily. And we look forward to tracking your progress uh, to March.
3: Definitely. um, I hope, I know actually, not I hope, I know. I will be the proud owner of property number two. I'll keep you
2: posted. Excellent. I love it. All right. Good chat. We'll talk soon. Speak soon. Bye. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we
3: make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps.
2: I've created the Solvair Online Academy open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space.
3: And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate, to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers.
2: Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and